Welcome to the Illuminating Primary Care Podcast, a general practice podcast brought to you by Menlo Park Recruitment. Illuminating Primary Care is here to quiz primary care leaders to offer professional knowledge, experience and insight on the biggest topics in general practice. It's the podcast to listen to if you work in primary care. Welcome to the Illuminating Primary Care Podcast. Hi guys and welcome back to the Illuminating Primary Care Podcast. Um, I'm your host today, Jasmine Kaur, Nursing Eye Health Recruitment Specialist and I am joined by Shilpa Patel, um, Lead GP Pharmacist and Partner at the Wellbeing Integrated Healthcare Hub, a pharmacist mentor as well, assessor and inspirational speaker. In this episode, we will be discussing things all clinical pharmacists related. Um, so a role that is becoming increasingly popular and more common and integrated in primary care. And I'll have the privilege of delving deeper into Shilpa's first-hand experience and success story. So welcome to the podcast, Shilpa. Lovely to have you on board. Thank you so much, Jasmine. I'm really excited to be here today. Perfect. Yeah, I'm definitely excited for this episode. Um, and I guess we can start off with a bit about your experience um, and more about the role as well. So as we know, it's becoming increasingly popular in primary care for local pharmacists, especially with the ARS funding. Um, kind of what would you say a clinical pharmacist can bring to general practice? Because I still think there's a lot of practices out there that probably don't have the full picture, kind of an insight. Um, but yeah, how do you think a clinical pharmacist would complement a multidisciplinary team? So... I think a lot of pharmacists out there don't really realize that they've got these skills um, from whatever setting they're working in at the moment. So may it be a community pharmacist uh, or a hospital pharmacist, uh, any any pharmacist can easily bring their skills that they've learned over the years from their previous role. Um, The role's pretty different to what they would have been doing before. But the, the kind of skills that I think pharmacists who have come to my practice bring with them are, um, you know, they're, they're the experts in medication. So we do spend a lot of time uh, dealing with kind of dosage changes, optimizing medication, looking at side effects of medications, um, the interactions. So, so we are the medicine experts. And that's how I kind of bring pharmacists in and, and and make them realize that they are the medication experts. And when we're part of the multidisciplinary team, we can, you know, really show um, our, our knowledge, our ph- pharmacological knowledge. Um, and, and I feel any pharmacist that joins general practice, um, kind of, they, they do end up studying a lot more. I mean, I did for the first two years, I was, I was reading about all sorts of drugs and, and everything because, you know, that you're using your clinical skills a lot more um and so your interest kind of is evoked suddenly because you you know you 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 feel like you're able to use all this drug knowledge so you you do end up kind of studying a lot more and learning a lot about it um other areas that we're involved in is um the transfer of care so the transition between kind of hospital or other settings and and gp um so there's often a lot of medication errors that can happen at that point. So we're part of the reconciliation process. Um, we can look into kind of duplications or or things that have been missed off um, the records. And we look at the interactions when, when patients are put on new medications and that they're on the correct doses and, and that their monitoring is being done after kind of the records have come over. 
Um, and another area that we work with the multidisciplinary team is uh, education. So we not only educate the patients, but we're also educating the staff. So, you know, we, we're kind of the medicine experts in our uh, surgery and we get queries every day from nurses, doctors and other physicians um, uh, just asking us uh, to spend, you know, we've, we've got the time to investigate you know, new therapies or, or um, uh, any kind of interactions or, or any kind of new treatment pathway. So things that GPs might have concerns about, but haven't got the time or the expertise uh, to look into. And we've got a lot of resources that we can tap into. Um, we also are involved with um, all the drug alerts. Um, so we are constantly looking out you know we, we we get the the alerts come to us we make sure they're actioned upon and we uh, educate the rest of the team about it educate the patients about it we set up new guidelines we write up new protocols um so that's all about kind of the information and education side um and other than that we we kind of are just part of the whole de- decision making process um, so we look at kind of different medication options, any kind of pharmacological and non-pharmacological changes that we can make to, to patients' kind of treatment plans. Um, and we use a lot of evidence base. So, you know, gen- generally pharmacists are there to increase the safety. I always think, you know, we're, we're the medication experts. We, we, we have a big role in making sure uh, medication is um, being prescribed safely uh patients are being cared for uh using the best kind of treatment and then we use a lot of the kind of optimization um so i think that's pretty much how we contribute to the multidisciplinary team um just increasing safety and and giving better patient outcomes at the end absolutely no, that was a, a great you encompassed pretty much i think every every skill and and how to utilize a clinical pharmacist kind of most effectively I think there's a plethora of skills that you guys bring to primary care and any team um, and incredible assets I always say that and I think even my clients and practices that I've worked with that haven't had a clinical pharmacist before they're like wow like we didn't expect they could do x y and z or kind of the skills that they can bring um so yeah that's a really good outline thank you Shilpa um and when it comes to I guess quaff as well you know, being one of the major, major things in, in primary care and practices, how is it that clinical pharmacists can help alongside QOF, you know, I, IIF, kind of those frameworks? Mm. So I think that's probably one of, the, you know, the, the areas where we can be utilised very, very well because um, they're obviously our income streams. So it's really, really cost effective to use these ours roles to to bring in um, pharmacists, and then we're immediately having high impact on on kind of the income streams. So with Quaff, um, I think at my, at my practice we're involved in the cardiovascular and respiratory Quaff targets um, the most. Um, so with the asthma we have to review every single asthma patient. Um, So we're heavily involved in that. Um, Hypertension, we've taken over all the hypertension reviews and um, there's a lot of case finding going on. So trying to identify patients who've got high high blood pressure um, and then uh, 
put put in place the whole diagnosis pr- pathway. Um, so pharmacists can easily get involved in that. Um, the other quaff target that we spend a lot of time with is cholesterol, cholesterol management. Um, so that's a new quaff target that, um, you know, previously we used to only get paid for that via IAF and, and other funding streams, but now there is a quaff element. So there's, there's two kind of um, targets that we need to work on. So that's that's straight away was identified as something the pharmacist could be involved in. And then I think the, the, the cardiovascular ones are, there's a stroke and TIA quaff target, there's um, secondary prevention of CVDs, um, and I suppose hypertension is the other one. And there's an AF one and an atrial fibrillation one. So, so they're kind of the areas that my my pharmacy team have always been involved in with regards to quaff. And um, IIF last year was pretty much all medication related. So, we were involved in probably about seventy percent of the IIF um, work was done by. Um, the pharmacists, um, and it's all to do with um, doing structured medication reviews. So we had to, oh, it was crazy. We were doing so many structured medication reviews, hundreds and hundreds, and they would never have got done if if we didn't have all our pharmacists on board. Um, that, that, you know, I, I can't remember the figures now, but there was hundreds we had to do. We had to review every patient who was on an NSAID and make sure uh, they had gastroprotection um uh, and then we had to review every single DOAC patient and make sure their monitoring was in place and they were on the correct doses. We had to optimize all the inhalers. So you have to do a full structured medication review. Um, and, and you know, there's there's certain qualifications involved to be allowed to do a structured medication review. Um, and, I, and I think, um, and then there was quite a few CVD um, elements in, in, in the IAF. Um, so... That again was to do with cholesterol and hypertension. So we spent a lot of time kind of doing those. But you know, they they're, they're all things that pharmacists are really they're very good at doing it. We're very interested in it. It's it's coming from community pharmacy for me. This this has been like very fulfilling. It, it's something that I really enjoy doing, and and I think I I speak for all the pharmacists at my practice. It's it's just um you feel like you're improving patient lives. So you you know, you're, you're putting your all into it and, and we're quite target orientated. Yeah. So, you know, we get a number, we, we get given a figure and we're like, yeah, I'm going to beat that. So we spend a lot of time trying to, to reach these targets and we're quite keen to get involved in these areas. Yeah, no, that's brilliant. And like hearing that stat, you know, 70% of the work for IAF was carried out by pharmacists. It just shows you kind of the, the huge support that they bring um, mm. and why they are vital clinicians, I think, to any multidisciplinary team. Mm. Um, and yeah, similarly with CQC, kind of how would your team of pharmacists and how do pharmacists contribute with that? Mm. So we've just had a CQC visit, actually. Um, we had it in May. So I was all over CQC. I've been working on it for, for, for we we knew we were due, so we'd been working for it probably in the last for about a year now. So I don't really want to hear the word CQC again, <laughs> but, um, but um, but I know all about it. Um, and so there's there's five you know um, things that they mark us on in 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 CQC, and the safety element is is the one that we kind of I took charge of. Um, and I suppose with CQC, um, there are ardent searches. So they're like inspection reports, which um, 
you can um, get on on your system and you run these reports and uh, th- these are the reports that C- the CQC inspector runs before they come in. Um, and that kind of, as long as you're running those on a regular basis and you stay on top of those, you know, that kind of um, shows CQC that you, you're kind of fulfilling all the requirements that they, they need for safe prescribing. <clears throat> which is a huge, huge element of, of the CQC checks. So what these reports do is they show um, what your monitoring is like. So it will identify patients who aren't being monitored the way they should be monitored. Um, so that's like patients on ACEs, ARBs, um, DOAX, and other high-risk medications. Um, so you you run these reports. Pretty We, we do it at a surgery. We run them once a week now. Um, and we just identify any patients who haven't come, turned up for their monitoring or, or whatever. Um, and then these reports also deal with a lot of asthma um, and um, optimization or or making sure that patients' uh, asthma is controlled to the best, you know, so they're not overusing certain inhalers and things like that. Um, there's also reports on cardiovascular, um, on, on kind of hypertension management, and uh, another big uh, important one for CQC is benzos, so benzodiazepines and pregabalin and gabapentin, drugs that can be abused. Mm-hmm. Um, so so uh, a pharmacist uh, kind of uh, team or, or a pharmacist joining a GP practice, um, one of the first things I would recommend for them to do is run those reports and, and get all of that kind of under control because that can take up to a year to get you know, under control because there's so many processes that you need to put in place for for that to 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 be able to achieve that. Um, so that's kind of one side of CQC. Um, they look a lot at um, antimicrobial prescribing or antibiotics. Um, so it's kind of just um, understanding how the CQC, you know, what checks they do and, and making sure that you're co- complying with, with the kind of checks that they're going to um, run on your system. Um, and then the other side is um, the whole repeat prescription process. So they come in and they really scrutinize your repeat prescription process and make sure everything's kind of being done um, uh, safely and, and effectively, really. Um, and so, so, um, uh, that, that includes the monitoring of medication. Um, they also look at your reconciliation protocol and make sure, um, the transfer of care is, is safe. Um, they look at your controlled drugs. So they look at kind of, they, they actually go in and look at, um, individual patient records to see if you've spotted uh, controlled drugs that are being ordered early, and if you if if you have got patients um, where controlled drugs are being overprescribed, what you're actually doing, and have you documented in the notes that you've been kind of um, trying to improve the prescribing in those areas? Same same with the monitoring; they'll go into certain patients and and check that you've. So if patients haven't turned up for their monitoring, they'll they'll go in and check what you've actually done. Um, so I have to make sure our repeat prescription process is, you know, really tight knit. So mm-hmm. uh, even if patients aren't turning up for their monitoring, we make sure 
we've chased them up, we've recorded that we've called them or we've written to them or we've, you know, stopped their prescriptions if appropriate, things like that. So they really kind of go in detail and look into all of those things. Um, and I think there's two other areas that we kind of got really heavily involved in with CQC. One was the um, alerts. So they're really high on MHRA alerts and um, uh, drug updates and things like that. So they look at how you've dealt with the alerts, um, how you've communicated it within the team. So you have to log kind of every communication. So if there's a new alert, I make sure I send an email to every single member of staff and then I log that to you know to show to CQC what what I've been doing and 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 what patients we've contacted, um, and the last one's medication reviews. So they they um, they we actually had an inspection a couple of years ago where we didn't do very well on our medication reviews. Um, we had done some we the G, GPs had done a lot of medication reviews, and sometimes when you're doing when you're reviewing one medication, it automatically codes it as a medication review. So when CQC come in, they 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 run a report and they could see lots of um, consultations that have been recorded as medication reviews, but they weren't really full reviews. They had, there was only maybe one medication that had been reviewed. So we had to change the way that we do our coding and everything. And so now we've kind of put in a new system where only pharmacists do the medication reviews um, and we're doing full medication reviews and we make sure that they, everyone has them once a year um, and so this time in May when they came in and checked it they they literally have a report that that we can run as well we can see the report so I was I run those reports all the time um, and you just make sure that you're doing your medication reviews the, the way they want it there's a certain kind of way that you have to document it and everything so we got really involved in in kind of that side of things um so yeah there's loads that pharmacists can get involved in um with with the cqc yeah definitely so many facets and uh, elements to it very meticulous but um i didn't realize the the extent and kind of how meticulous and thorough it was um and how much a clinical pharmacist contributes to that Um, and you mentioned about the the repeat uh, the repeat prescribing process. So kind of how have you set up your process? Because I know that you just referenced, you know, you have to be quite tight on it. So kind of what have you, what, you know, what steps have you put in place to ensure that it's quite streamlined? Mm, okay. So I've, I've kind of, um, I've been at the practice for nine years and I've kind of been changing my <laughs> repeat prescription yeah. process every, every couple of years, just, just, you know, reviewing it and updating it. And obviously things change all the time. Um, we've, we've got, um, we've, we've ended up with like an idiot proof guide in the end. And, and it's actually, um, we've got a prescription team now. So we've got, um, five members, we've got 25,000 patients just to put that into perspective. And for those 25,000 patients, we've got five technicians who work on our repeat prescription, uh, process. Um, and, Every single medication, uh, so we've got um, like an Excel spreadsheet. Every single medication is on there. Um, and we've got kind of a protocol for every medication. If it, if, if the patient's only had it on acute, um, whether the prescription team can issue it or not, if the, if the medication is on their repeat, what checks need to be made before they can issue their prescription. Um, and although... 
the system, like, so we use system one, system one does lots and lots of checks. Um, we found that there were still checks that were kind of being missed off. Um, and it doesn't take a lot more for my team to kind of do those extra checks. And it just saves us a lot of hassle and work in the, in the long run. Um, so every single prescription request that comes through is now kind of going through the prescription team and they do these certain checks for every single medication. Um, it takes quite a while to train the team up to, to be able to do, to follow this protocol. But once they're trained up, they, they seem to, I mean, once you've been doing it for about three months, you, you know, the protocol inside out. So, so there's not, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't take very long after that, but we're quite strict in our surgery. So GPs don't issue repeat prescriptions at all. It's only issued by the pharmacy team. Um, and, uh, yeah, so, so where I've, I've kind of been more generalized over the years and now I've just gone very specific because mm-hmm. every medication, I mean, each, each group of medications can be treated to, to some extent the same. Um, and I think we've just put it down to each medication because training, uh, the farm, the prescription team, sometimes they don't remember what group it belongs to or what category it comes under. So we've, we've kind of decided to do it that way and it's just quicker for them to look it up when they need to. Um, but you know, each medication has certain monitoring that they need and we're just really careful on that specifically for CQC because we realized how much they, how many checks they actually do. And and the main ones are the ACEs, the ARBs, the DOEX, and the thyroid medication. Those ones, uh, oh, and, and the high-risk high ones, so the DMARDs, um, lithium, uh, kind of, th- there's a there's a whole list if, if you ever Google on, on the CQC kind of yeah. website. And, and they do such detailed checks on these uh, meds and and it and it is a requirement for us to to make sure the monitoring is happening um so so yeah we we're really really strict on our prescribing policies yeah no I mean it sounds sounds fantastic in terms of what you've done and kind of the the system the process that you've got in place now um and you know like you said it's it's imperative especially in line with CQC and and patient safety um but also by the sounds of it 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 sounds like your training for the team is brilliant um Mm -hmm. and obviously you've got such a strict and thorough process that I'm presuming you know your training with your team is second to none as well to get them up to that standard um which is brilliant and I guess when it comes to opportunities in primary care um you know a question that I'm asked frequently especially with those pharmacists coming from more community setting or even secondary care is kind of what opportunities are available within general practice kind of you know what career routes kind of what prospects are there so I think kind of what would you say is available and kind of what is the route for a clinical pharmacist looking in general practice so at the moment you can be a PCN pharmacist uh, which means that you work um across several different surgeries so each pcn will have two or three or maybe more uh surgeries that have kind of come together and are working together so if you're a pcn pharmacist you will work across those three or four um surgeries um and the other option is to just work for one gp practice uh on its own and i've i've done both i've i've worked as a pcn pharmacist I worked um, and I, I didn't like it at all. Um, it's easier to get a PCN job because there are a lot of PCN roles and there's a lot of funding for PCN roles. Um, I My 
kind of advice would be if you can work with one GP practice. Um, and that's not just coming from my experience, just every pharmacist I've I've worked with over the years. I just feel like if you're working in one GP practice, you can have more of an impact. It's really, really difficult to work across, you know, three or four um, surgeries because you're you're doing you're working like a day in each one, and it's it's um, I suppose it's a bit like locuming in a in a community pharmacy where you're you're just there for for the day and and you're not having an impact. And okay. one of the main things with GP uh, kind of um, roles is. Uh, it, it gives you that fulfillment. It, it, you know, you, you get real good job satisfaction. So if you're in one surgery, I just feel that's kind of, that, that that's what I've always felt and everyone I've um, kind of spoken to. Yeah. Um, but PCN is, is a really good way to get in there. Um, you get put on a CPP pathway. Um, so you get your 18 months of training and that teaches you everything you need to, to, to be able to work uh, in this clinical pharmacist role. Um, you're most, I think everyone's offered the IP at the end of that training. So you become an independent prescriber. Um, so, so, you know, um, PCN role will definitely be your way into, to this kind of work. Um, and then I know there's, there's medication review pharmacists. I'm not too sure how, how you become, I think that's probably through a CCG or an ICB. Um, but, but you can be, a medication review pharmacist, which means you just do medication reviews all the time. Whereas when you're a PCN pharmacist or a GP-based pharmacist, you, you get more involved in kind of chronic health conditions and, and you know, other other areas um, and, and the QOF and IIF work and things like that. Mm. Um, and then it, like in my surgery, um, we've got nine pharmacists now. So I've been looking at a lot of specialization. So they're all kind of specializing in different areas. So everyone who comes in, uh, and joins our practice they're all um they start off as um kind of general pharmacists so they uh learn kind of everything they they start off with one topic and get to another and another and in about probably after about a year or so we we figure out what what drives them what 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 they're feeling really passionate about and and then we make them a specialist in that area and that that really helps me to have like these specialists and I send them on all the courses and I I make sure we've we've always got a specialist in every area so so they can help us with with educating the rest of the team and you know feeding things back um so I think that's probably you know it's it's all it's all quite new even though you know it's been going on for about 8 9 years but it's um it's still quite new and and people haven't quite got to that level yet where they've had to go any further but you know this the specialization is is definitely there and i know there are training courses uh to make you a specialist like so i went on a mental health specialist um uh course uh, at at university and and you know so you you can do things like that um and then obviously there's management and leadership. So that's the route that I've taken. So I've gone into kind of, I'm doing a lot of leadership courses um, and and just learning how to manage uh, a pharmacy team and manage um, the practice really. I've, I've, I've been um, dipping in and out of different kind of roles within yeah. our practice. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, I'm, I'm getting involved in anything that I'm interested in really. Um, and yeah, and then obviously there's GP partnership, which, uh, which is, um, a whole different 
ball game. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I bet. But um, yeah, I think you, yeah, you've covered it greatly there in terms of the opportunities available. And I think you providing those um, courses and supporting your team with specialisms, like, you know, down the line is it's so key, and even to retain your staff as well. Um, I think when I, you know, I speak to a lot of pharmacists, it's, you know, is that element of support there in the long run, like training development. And it's so key because you're probably where it benefits your team hugely and, and the patient population. And it's just, I think if you can invest in your staff, that's the biggest game changer, I think. Mm. For, for yeah, I'm always worried about kind of them getting bored and I'm like, you know, what's the next thing? What's the I'm constantly yeah. thinking of, you know, how to keep them motivated. And I think everyone just wants to grow and everyone yeah. wants to be challenged. And, and you know, I, I've got to a point where one of my pharmacists has been with me for five years now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the first few years was easy. I was teaching her everything. And now she's kind of outskilled me and she's, you know, she's so, so excellent in all areas. So I'm like, okay. Let me send you on all these courses now. And yeah. I'm constantly thinking of ways to to keep them motivated, and and they are. I mean, they there's 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 loads of scope. There's there's so much that we can we can learn, and so many courses available. And yeah, yeah. So there's um they're always going to be growing. I mean, I've been here nine years, and I'm still learning new things every single day. So yeah. there's there's loads to learn. Absolutely. <laughs> every day's a school day, as I say. Um, but no, sounds sounds like brilliant brilliant management from yourself Shilpa in terms of how you manage your team um and I guess your success story obviously you've gone down the route of GP partnership and something that's not as common but I'd love to hear kind of how you actually kind of went into the role you know how you transitioned from community and kind of the the story behind it hmm so I it's a long story (laughs) going on for nine years but I suppose Maybe I'll just think about the kind of key um, steps, yeah, towards getting here and, and kind of how it's it has completely changed my life. It's changed my career, but it's also changed my life. Um, it's uh, I think when I took on the role as a GP pharmacist, I, I came from community pharmacy, and I think um, one of the things that I did different to a lot of the other pharmacists who joined at the time was like we were, we were, we were all told to do medication reviews, and we were all uh, asked if we wanted to set up a clinic, which which I did. But I very early on uh, kind of identified, for example, the repeat prescription process. It, I, I really wasn't happy with it. I, I felt like there was a lot of unsafe prescribing going on um, from day one, and I, I was really concerned about you know um, what was going on in our GP practice. So I kind of went up to the practice manager and I said, I'm not happy. Like, I, I, don't, I don't feel like it's safe. And he, he was, you know, luckily enough, he, he listened to me and he said, you know, what do you think we should do? And I was like, I think we should do it like this and this instead. And he literally within, I think it was about three weeks later, all my clinics had finished, like he canceled all my clinics. And I kind of went into an admin role of just, you know, setting up the, the repeat prescriptions, um, this new process. Um, and I started spending a lot more time looking at processes and trying to improve kind of the whole practice. And, and, and I actually went back into running the same kind of clinics two years later, but by then all the processes kind of had been set up. Um, and, and the NHS England, uh, pathway that I joined, um, was a two year path. It was, it was a two year pilot pathway, and at the end of it, we weren't sure if we would be given a role or, or you know, what would happen. Um, so they, so I went in for my kind of two-year review, and 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 they 
they could have said, you know, we're keeping you on or, or, or you, or we don't need you anymore because the funding's kind of finished. Um, and, and that was the time when they said, you know, we definitely want to keep you. And I, I kind of knew they were going to keep me because I'd made so many changes by then. I thought they don't even know how to run this place. <laughs> but, um, but that's when they offered me partnership and they said, you know, we'd like you to be partner. And I was quite hesitant at, in the beginning because I'd, I'd never heard of it before. I didn't really know what I was putting myself into. And I didn't want to kind of go back to in, it, when I was working in a community pharmacy, I was working all hours and I was like, you know, really overworked and I didn't want to get back into to that again. So initially I, I kind of didn't want to do it, um, but they assured me that, you know, I wouldn't be working all hours and, 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 you know, I kind of set my terms out and um, decided to to give it a go, really. Yeah. Um, and and I even asked them. I was like, "Why would you do? You know, why would you offer me partnership um, when I haven't even requested it?" But they they were worried that I was going to leave because they were worried that I'd learned so much and I'd made such a big impact and and that I would leave and go and do that somewhere else. And they were quite upfront about that. So so they wanted me to be a partner. So I think I think. A lot of people who've asked me kind of in the past, I've always said, like, you know, if you ha- if you make that huge impact and I became part of the spine of the surgery and I kind of got myself into a position where if I left, you know, they wouldn't, they just wouldn't know how to, to kind of function without you. So, yeah. Yeah. And it would go back to where it was and nobody wanted to go back to where it was. Um, and, you know, so if you get yourself into that kind of a position, um, and 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 have a good uh, understanding of how everything works. You know, they 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 can't really say no. If you know, if there's people out there who want to be become a GP partner, it's it's kind of getting yourself really embedded, really understand the income streams, really understand um, re- reports. You know, I, I spent a lot of time learning how to run reports and and really kind of understand the background work because I always felt like running a clinic. You know, you can be replaced by another pharmacist or a nurse or a doctor, but when you're when you're doing all that background work and making huge, huge impact, that that you become quite irre- irreplaceable. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So and and then it has changed my life. I do work every hour of the day. <laughs> that didn't actually happen in the end. I used to finish at four o'clock on the dot. That never happens anymore. Oh gosh. Perks of But I think I think it's something, yeah. So so it is it is quite a lot of work. Um it's more flexible. So I, you know, I can take a lot more time off whenever I want and you know, I am my own kind of boss, my own manager. Um, and, and I, I think what I really enjoy is that I kind of pick and choose what I want to do. So if it's something I really enjoy, I'll put my, all my energy into it. And if it's something I don't enjoy, I can easily delegate it. So that's something that, you know, I really enjoy. What I've really, really enjoyed is growing my team, you know, growing the team of, you know, every year I bring in a new pharmacist and I train them up and I make, you know, I, each pharmacist has such a huge impact on on the whole team, um, and to the point where you know there's a GP shortage and we can't find GPs when when we've had a couple of GPs who have retired and there's no way you know we can replace them. Um, re- really difficult to to employ GPs, mm-hmm. um, and and so we're just every year we just keep trying to figure out ways that pharmacists can take over roles of GPs. So mm-hmm. so I don't 
think we've employed any new GPs since I joined the practice. It's kind of like we just keep replacing them with pharmacists now. Um, and every time we get more funding, it, it goes towards recruiting a pharmacist. Um, so so it's it's kind of really raising um, raising the role of pharmacists. Um, and, and that bit's been wonderful. You know, it's been really nice. Yeah. No, absolutely. Uh, that's lovely to hear. I mean, um, yeah, hats off to you. Clearly, you, you've had the drive and the initiative and the partners saw that. Um, and, you know, to have the opportunity. And it sounds like you've done a fantastic job with the team. And even, like you know, like you said, you know, we're in a climate where there is that GP shortage. And I think it, it's so important for practices to look at other avenues and look at other clinicians and how they can contribute. And like, you know, it sounds like you've done an incredible job with your pharmacy team, which is ever growing, which is brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's perfect. And I guess, lastly, I just want to say congratulations. You're now, is it a judge on the, um, well, on the panel for the GP Awards? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I saw your, saw your post that's a, a huge uh, you know opportunity I'm um, presuming you know from all the work that you've done and um, kind of the mentoring the projects um and hopefully we, we may see you down there this year <laughs> oh yeah yeah I've been, I've been given a seat uh and yeah it's such an honor I couldn't believe it when when they asked me I thought you know that's um that's that's a real honor. I, I felt really privileged to to be invited to do that. So yeah, I jumped jumped to that. Yeah, mm-hmm. such an achievement. Um, and that's brilliant. But I very much appreciate you joining me, Shilpa, on the on the podcast. Really insightful and really informative for me as well as someone who recruits clinical pharmacists on a day to day basis. I think what you've shared, um, you know, your brilliant knowledge is going to be really valuable to any clinical pharmacist on a network listening to this. And so it is very much appreciated. And you know, if anyone does have any queries, I'm sure that you have your blog. Is that correct or your yeah I mean I I I do write a lot on LinkedIn so you know any questions if you put them through on LinkedIn I'm I'm happy to to answer questions um I do have a blog I've got a website called Ask Shilpa um so uh and I'm I'm putting pretty much everything I've learned over the last few years so I've put a lot of clinical work on there and I'm now going to start writing about um income generating work you know like the QOF work the IAF work so So everything I've talked about today, um, I'm going to start just sharing sharing things on my website. Yeah, brilliant. No, I think this is also be really valuable to my clients as well and those looking to recruit a clinical pharmacist, kind of what to expect and how you can contribute. So all around a really, um, really great episode, Shilpa. So thank you for joining us. Um, and yeah, hopefully you guys can stay tuned for the next episode on the Illuminating Primary Care co- Podcast. But for now, uh, but for now, it's a goodbye. <laughs> You've been listening to the Illuminating Primary Care Podcast. If you enjoyed our podcast, please subscribe, review and share so others can find the podcast too. We really appreciate your support. If you're a practice looking to recruit permanent clinicians, such as GPs, nurses or allied health staff, please get in touch at menloparkrecruitment.com or email james at menloparkrecruitment.com. For daily primary care news, please follow Menlo Park Recruitment on LinkedIn. Thank you so much for listening and we hope you'll join us next time for another episode of the Illuminating Primary Care Podcast.